It is a delight to have you again, friend. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. A lot. Yeah. Preach. Well, good morning. You heard him preach. So let's get going. It's always, always, always a blast and honor to be here with you and to open God's Word especially. Boy, I really enjoyed the worship this morning. That was great. I heard a little bit of ukulele or ukulele back there, and it reminded me of our supporting church that we have in Guam. And if the majority of this church does not like the ukulele, I don't like it either. I don't like any of that song. And Pastor Art, you're on your own. (laughs) That was great. I enjoyed it a lot. John, good job. I've also enjoyed meeting new people. Ron, enjoyed meeting you. And Jerry and Mary, we sat with them at supper last night. If all of you couples would have names that rhymed, you would do us a great service. (laughs) Art and never mind. (laughs) Uh, I've heard comments about my outward appearance since I've been here this time, and I had no idea that these glasses made me look so bald. As I said, <laughs> hold on. Hey everyone, Hebrews chapter 11. As I said when I visited here back last summer, I was on my way to a baseball game. You have known me in the past, and, now, and you, I'm still the same guy, just a different iteration. In the past, I wanted to be known as a grape, and now I prefer to be known as a raisin. <laughs> May the raisins stay because I bought new clothes. We're in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. One month from today, I will be on an airplane right now flying back to Thailand. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I have to confess that part of the reason I cannot wait is I am so sick of snow and cold. I do. I, I really don't care about snow and cold I, at all. There is no pleasure in this cold weather at all. If you like it, great. <laughs> Hebrews 11, we're spending time this morning, and uh, we're going to spend time encouraging ourselves on the choices of faith from a man who committed himself to service of God when he was 80 years old. For those of you who have kept up with us over the past term, and I know a lot of you have because we were here in this conference two years ago, and then we were here over the summer on a brief on a Sunday morning, and then I spoke on a Wednesday night in the fall. We have been around a little bit, and you've also had people come visit us in Thailand for the first time. You have followed us. You know a little bit what what has taken place over the last four years, where we've seen the church, been Glaub Baptist Church, grow. We organize as a church, and you're going to see pictures of that sometime this week. But you also know that there have been challenges. In fact, I say with no exaggeration that these last four years of our time in Thailand were the most difficult years of our lives, not just in ministry, but in our lives. And there were times where I sat at my desk in my room at home thinking to myself, what am I doing here and is what I do here even worth it? Does it matter? That doesn't sound very spiritual and frankly it wasn't. But when things are going bad, the first place that we think in our minds probably isn't always very spiritual. And so I started doing things that maybe you do as well, and started recounting maybe uh, things in life or 
what's the word in luck, luck in, in English? Uh, like monuments in life, thank you very much. Monuments in life where I made decisions, they were clear, they were based on God's leading, and I was not turning back from that monument. Some books helped along the way. Some of the messages that I've preached on this furlough are messages that God used in my own life, and they're extremely personal. I'm going to be sharing one of those messages with the teens this coming Tuesday night. Very personal to me. When I was going through difficulty in ministry and discouraged, God used these things to put me back on track and get my focus where it needed to be. And what I share with you this morning is another one of those messages It's a message I haven't preached very often, very, very rarely as a matter of fact, which I feel as a missionary is sort of a brave thing to do at Faith Baptist Church Sunday morning in missions conference to preach a message that doesn't get preached very often from myself. A little scary. But here in this passage, in the life of this man who dedicated himself to service of God when he was 80 years old, we see hope being brought to a nation. God used Moses to bring hope and deliverance to Jewish people who at the time were enslaved in Egypt. And I'd like to spend the time that we have remaining together talking about three beliefs that changed Moses' life. These three beliefs motivated Moses to obey God's plan for his life and in the process took hope to people who were crying out to God as we remember in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 where God says to Moses at that burning bush, I've heard their cry. I'm sending you. They needed hope. They were crying out to God, maybe for the first time in hundreds of years, literally. And God chose Moses, a man in his, at 80 years old, 40 years living in the wilderness, to take this being in the wilderness and now take hope to a people enslaved in Egypt. And I see here in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, three beliefs that changed not only Moses' life, not only brought hope to people who needed hope, but in the process of this changed the course of human history. The faith of one guy, the beliefs of one guy put into action changed the course of history as we know it. What were those beliefs that Moses had that changed his life, that motivated him to obey, to commit himself and follow through when times were tough in his own life? We start in verse 23, we could start there, talking about Moses, that really talks about his parents. In verse 23, chapter 11 says this way, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Then we jump into Moses' faith. These three beliefs that changed Moses' life brought hope to Jewish people who were enslaved and changed the course of human history. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come up to, come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. In here, in these verses, I see three decisions based on faith, three choices of faith that Moses made that changed, like I said, not only brought hope to children of Israel who were living in enslavement, but changed the course of human history. What are those three beliefs? The first belief we see, we see in verses 24 through 26. Mo- what did Moses believe? 
It says here by faith or because he believed it. What did Moses believe? Simply this, Moses believed God's rewards are greater than earth's rewards. And speaking of God's rewards, here are three truths we see in these verses about God's rewards that we can talk about. First, in verse 24, what you believe about God's rewards will determine what you reject. For Moses, what did he reject? Look at it again. By faith, when he was come to years, come to age, old enough, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did he reject? He rejected be calling the grandson of King Pharaoh. Think about that for a moment. What was he rejecting? What was Moses rejecting when he refused to be called the Pharaoh's grandson? Guaranteed wealth for a lifetime, a life of ease, living in a palace, any possession he wanted, fame, power, prestige, never having to work a day in his life, being a prince, possibly even being in line to become the king of Egypt someday. He had it all. He had the sweetest chariot in town. It was one horsepower. It was awesome. Everything the heart desired, he had, because in this day, he's living as the grandson of the greatest king in the greatest kingdom of the world, Egypt. And because of his faith, he rejected all that. Why? Because living as the king's grandson would have brought him untold pleasure and fortune and comfort, but it would not have brought it would not have bought God's blessing on his life. It would not have bought God's reward. For us, as I read these verses, the thought occurs to me, how often do I equate or interpret earthly or worldly possessions, stuff, or maybe even opportunities as both God's will and God's blessing on my own life? when it may not be God's blessing at all. It may very well be that God has put these things into my life to force me to make choices. After all, God himself put a tree in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to make choices. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's God's blessing. Just because we have it doesn't mean God wants us to keep it. Moses got a hold of that. I also find it worth noting that for Joseph in the book of Genesis, being second only to Pharaoh was God's perfect plan. But for Moses to have the very same or similar position, it would have been sinning against that very same perfect plan of God. So we can't compare ourselves, we can't compare God's will, God's plan for our lives based on what he's doing in other people's lives. For Joseph, it was perfect. For Moses, it was something to be rejected because God had a different reward for him. And he believed it and never spilled water off the pulpit. (laughs) That's a first. Nice. When I think about this, this truth about the idea of when we focus on what God's reward is and whether we want it or not, it's going to cause us to reject things in this life. I think about one of the greatest honors I've had as a missionary in Thailand. And I think you'll understand, With this sounds maybe weird when I first started, I had the honor of preaching at the funeral of a Thai pastor who was a pastor for more than 30 years. 
a veteran pastor known by all pastors, doesn't matter what denomination, this independent Baptist pastor, he developed one in the rope. He developed a very bad sickness, and I can't think of what the English name is. Tuberculosis, thank you. And he died of tuberculosis in his 50s. His family calls me and asks me to perform his funeral, and they say, share the gospel. There were, there were missionaries lined up to do that, and they asked this guy right here. I was more than honored. And so I, they said, share the gospel. So I said, tell me his testimony. They shared his testimony with me, and I, in turn, wove his testimony in a gospel presentation to a crowd of more than 500 people. It was an honor. But this man's testimony, he, went, he came from a Chinese family. They're educated. He went to university, got a very good degree from universities. That allowed him to get a government job. When you, and that's the goal of every mother and father in Thailand. They're, they're, they're children to work for the government. Your children work for the government. You are set for life. Free health care, free benefits, all of these things. Their son had it. He accepts Christ, commits himself to ministry. Of course they were not happy with that. Of course his whole family thought he was a fool. And words like, you've been brainwashed. Why would you follow a Western religion when we have our own? You know why? Because he saw a greater reward. And what you believe about God's reward is going to determine what you reject in this lifetime. Not only that, we see in verse 25, we also see that what you believe about God's rewards will determine the ridicule you'll accept. Not just what you reject, but the ridicule you'll accept. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Simply put, he was looking forward to the reward. For Moses, because of his belief, in verse 25, he chose affliction. In verse 26, he chose the reproach of Christ. Rather than all of the benefits and the blessings, and the Bible says the treasures of being the grandson of the king of the greatest kingdom of the world of that day. Because of his faith, he didn't just leave the life of the royal family. He chose to live and be treated as a what? A slave. For us, as you live your life for God, you will come to a point where you conclude clearly it is impossible to please everyone all the time. If you can please everyone all the time in this Christian life that you walk, I'm sorry, there has been a point where you have not lived for Christ. The question is, do you want God to be pleased with you or do you want man to be pleased with you? And when I think about illustrations from Thailand, I don't have to look far. I don't even have to look out of my own household. Because my own wife, when she was the first Christian in her family, as a teenager, going through what she went through, the ridicule of family, the mocking, the being scorned and yelled at, and then asking, and then her own mom making up excuses so that she couldn't go to church on Sunday. So what my wife did as a teenager... 
Every Saturday, she cleaned the house till it was spotless, did all of the dishes, did all of the laundry, the jobs that weren't hers. She did it all on Saturday. So Sunday morning, when she woke up and she asked permission of her mom to go to church, her mom would go through the list and she said, it's done. And her mom didn't have anything more to say than, I guess you can go. How many of us would go that far? And why do we do it? Because we believe that there's reward. And because of that, I believe, though I don't see it, I know it's there, I know it's real. In fact, it's more real than what I experience now because it's eternal. I'm willing to deal with ridicule that comes my way. So we see that what we believe about God's rewards is going to choose what we refuse in this life, what we reject in this life. It's also going to determine what ridicule we're willing to accept in this life. In verse 26, we see it there. What you believe about God's reward will determine where you receive your reward. Again, what you believe about God's rewards will determine where you receive receive that reward. For Moses, the Bible says he was looking forward. He believed in and wanted heaven's rewards, so he rejected Egypt's rewards. For us, for us, I want to take you on a little thought journey here. For us, there is a sense in which we are the ones who choose our own rewards. How so? Now, we don't choose exactly what those rewards will be, but we do have a part in choosing where we will receive reward from this life. We have memorized very well Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, have we not? For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? And then verse 10 says what? For we, his workmanship, created into Christ Jesus, what? Unto good works. Keep reading, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. When we were saved, God mapped a course for our lives as well. He mapped out a plan. He has a will for your life. He even mapped out the good works, the people he wants you to witness to. That's all part of what he did when we were saved. He has a plan for you, specific people he wants to speak, you to speak to, specific things he wants you to be doing in church. But it doesn't just stop there because then we jump over and we learn from 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It says in verse 14, if, talking about works and, and reward, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall, what? Suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. What's going on here? So in Ephesians, we understand when we were saved, God mapped out a plan for our Christian life. He mapped out good works for us to do. Then we go over to 1 Corinthians and we understand not only did he map out the good works for us, he also mapped out rewards. He prepared rewards. And my understanding is he prepared them ahead of time. They're there. They're waiting for us to simply go to heaven and receive them. How do I know that? Because at the judgment seat of Christ, that day where we receive reward for the things we did with this Christian life, we will receive the reward for our obedience. But there is also talking about the suffering of loss. Loss of what? Loss of rewards. I believe that there are going to be rewards that were prepared for us ahead of time. Simply obey, we get it. But because some people didn't obey, They will sense and suffer loss. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3. 
So there is a sense, friend, there is a sense in which you are the one who chooses your reward. Live your life on this earth, especially in America, long enough, you're going to get some rewards for your labor. You may not be rich, but you're going to have enough to get the things that you really, really want in life. That's what I've learned about people all over the world. We have money for what we want money for. It's true. The poorest people in Thailand have iPhones. So you choose your reward. For Moses, he believed in God's rewards enough to put his faith into action. Secondly, verse 27, Moses believed in God's presence and protection. Look at verse 27 again. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses believed in God's presence and protection. What you believe about God's continual presence in your life and his ability to protect you will determine in the end what and who you fear. What I say it again. What you believe about God's presence in your life and his ability to protect you in the end is going to determine what and who you fear. It would be easy to overlook this point, but we need to remember that Moses at one time in his life had fled Egypt in fear of Pharaoh. Why did he, how? How and why did he end up in that place called Midian in the desert or the wilderness for 40 years? Because he was fleeing a Pharaoh who was trying to kill him. So it's a big deal that he goes back there. This isn't a foregone conclusion But now, not only is he not running away from Pharaoh anymore, he is leading two million Hebrews out of slavery. He's bringing hope to a people crying out for it. What happened to Moses that would change his life so much? Well, you remember the story from Exodus when God called to Moses to return to Egypt. And what did Moses say? If we were to open there, but for sake of time... You can listen. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, he had a list of, and and following, he had a list of five excuses about why he shouldn't be the one to lead the Jews out of Egypt. And one of those excuses, he says to God, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's reply to him in verse 12, God said, I will be with you. God promised his presence. And something clicked in Moses' life, and his life was changed forever. So being a man who ran away and stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, now is willing to go back to that very place where he grew up, face a Pharaoh and say, let these people go. Not only did it change him, it turned this man who was fighting with God, arguing with God about not being the one, to being the man who gives confidence to these people so that when Pharaoh was chasing Moses and the Jews to capture them, take them back into Egypt, and they're waiting at the Red Sea, wondering what God is going to do, Moses says with confidence in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Why was Moses no longer afraid of Pharaoh? Because 
Something happened, and now he believes that God is with him. And wherever God goes, his protection goes as well. I think of Pon, a man named Pon and a lady named Yui in our church. First time, maybe probably the only time, members of our church came and visited us just this last December. Pon, his name is Pon, her name is Yui. She came, started coming to our church. He brought her. Well, they were dating. He was a Christian. She was not saved. Not only was she not saved, she was a Muslim. She would not believe in Christ just because her boyfriend did. He had taken her to different churches, his home church. She didn't like it. When we first opened our doors for ministry, she was one of the first people that came and sat and studied the Bible with us. She liked being in our church. Super quiet, super shy girl. We didn't know why she liked it, but she liked being with us. She studied the Bible with us for a couple years. Her, she finished her degree, moved on the other side of Bangkok, and we didn't hear from her for about a year until they call us one day and say, uh, you accepted Christ. We want to get married. We would like you to do our premarital counseling. Would you do that? I said, I absolutely would. And then they said, Yui's family will not go to the wedding. Would you walk Yui down the aisle? And I said, I absolutely would. And just while we've been on this furlough, they've moved back in the area. He's changed jobs, and they are now members of our church. And at that wedding, her parents did not go. They would not go. Her dad did not even fly up from southern part of Thailand to be in the same city. Her mom came to the reception, and as I listened to her mom lament to us, it sounded like Christian parents lamenting when their children marry an unsafe. She said, oh, I can't stand what our daughter did, but I guess it's our fault. We didn't teach her the right way, and now we've lost her. But she went through with it. And she faced her mom. And she was willing to go through this whole ceremony. Because God's with her. And where God goes, his protection goes as well. Moses believed in God's presence and protection. And it changed his life. Finally, in verse 28, what did Moses believe that changed his life? bring hope to Jewish people, change the course of human history. He believed in God's judgment. Look at verse 28. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What did Moses believe when it's all this is saying by faith he did this? What's the belief talking about? He believed in God's judgment. What you believe about God's judgment will cause you to do things that other people see as foolish or possibly even a complete waste of time. And that day and age when Egyptians saw Moses and the Hebrews putting lamb's blood on their doors, what do you suppose they thought? We understand already that shepherding was an occupation Egyptians did not do. Sheep, goats were disgusting, filthy animals. Egyptians didn't touch them. So they already thought lowly of these enslaved Jewish people as it was. Now these same Jewish people are taking the blood of these disgusting animals and putting them on the doors of their houses. What idiots. How could you get more disgusting than that? What a bunch of losers. Why would Moses do what others saw as foolish and a complete waste of time? Because he believed in God's word. He believed that God said, this is what is going to happen. Here's the answer. Do this, and your firstborn won't be touched. 
He simply believed that God's promise to judge was real. Not only God's promise to judge was real, the hope and the answer that God gave was equally real. What, what about us? What do you believe about God's judgment? Do we realize that if there is no judgment, then the hope of the gospel is no hope at all? If God's judgment is not real, friends, if it's not true, the, the gospel is a waste of time. Sacrificing a life, willing to face the dangers and the ridicule, it's a waste. But the gospel is the only hope. And it is equally as real as the coming judgment for those who do not accept it. Do you believe in God's judgment enough to warn others about it, even in the face of ridicule? Do we believe in not just God's amazing love, but also his terrible judgment enough to change the way we live? Moses did. Moses believed in the fearful hand of a judgment coming from God enough that it changed the way he lived. What about us? Moses' faith and his beliefs not only changed his life, but they brought hope to a nation and changed the course of history. I like saying that because sometimes when missionaries speak like that, it sounds so pie in the sky. But the truth of the matter is, when you share the gospel, it might be the smallest pebble thrown into a pond, but even the smallest pebble creates ripples. And you never know where those ripples stop. I'm relying on that. I'm not, probably not Hudson Taylor. I'm begging God that he would allow me to find the right Thai guy. I could lead that guy to the Lord and maybe he's Hudson Taylor. And I would be equally as grateful, even if I never saw the fruit. And in each step of the way, Moses had to come to a point where he had to make specific choices based on what he believed. There is a truth in that everything we do in this life, every decision you make in a day is based on a belief. Even when we do wrong, we believe either we're not going to get caught or it's not going to matter. Moses based his action. His life changed based on a belief that God's rewards are greater than anything this earth could ever give. And that's saying something from the grandson of the greatest kingdom of the world. He also believed that God's presence meant God's protection. And he believed, frankly, in God's judgment. And it changed his life. Does God require anything less of us today? I don't think so. Maybe there are some choices of faith that you need to make this morning. Maybe there are some changes that need to be made made permanent in your life. Not because you want to. Not because it's easy. Because your faith is driving you that direction.
you won't be the first. Moses was before, Abraham before him. That is the life that God's called us to. And in so doing, hope is spread to the nations. Let's pray. Father, help us to be the people you want us to be. Maybe there are some decisions that need to be made, even now, about rewards, about whether you're really with us or not, and maybe even decisions made about judgment and people we love and care about not having to go through it to the point we're willing to say something or say it again when we've already said it before. Help us to make the decisions we need to make. In Jesus' name, amen.